Hello everyone and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. Before we get started today, I want to go ahead and remind everyone to like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you may be listening to podcasts. It helps to get into the algorithm so everyone else gets to hear the word of God. Before we also move forward today, I also got notified on Spotify that now we are at 308 Spotify followers. So I want to thank everyone who has liked and subscribed to this podcast. And even if you haven't liked and subscribed, thank you for tuning in, listening, and getting into the algorithm where people get to hear the word of God. It is, it, it, it really helps me out. It really helps me where I can see God doing amazing work in this and stuff. I don't see you face-to-face, obviously, but it, it really helps out. I do apologize ahead of time right now. Uh, <clears throat> I have a little bit of a cough. I haven't been uploading for a little while for a couple of reasons. First is, um, I got a cold. And... My voice has been shot for the last about almost a week. I really haven't been able to talk that much. Um, and at the same time, I've been taking classes to study to become a semiconductor, semiconductor technician. Semiconductors pretty much run all electronics. It's anything you're listening to, including on your device that you're listening to this podcast, runs on semiconductors. It's a little something I wanted to get into. I like engineering along with uh, apologetics. It's... Um, so they are teaching a class over at the community college, and it's free, and um, so I took it. So that's why I, I've been kind of had a lot of pokers in the fire on top of that being sick. So a lot of fun, you know. So today's episode is going to be Give Me an Answer by Pastor Cliff and Stuart Neckley. I've done many episodes of them. They are actually going to be talking about are men and women equal in the Bible? Before we jump into this one, I want to go ahead and put my two cents into this before I have them talk. Men and women are equal in the Bible. That is correct. But the difference is men and women, both physically and um, biologically, are different uh, different than each other. Men are different than women. Women are different than men. Now, this is not a problem. This is something that is... Um, we're made equally, but we are made differently. We complement each other. It's like a puzzle piece. You don't have two of the exact same puzzle piece. You have one puzzle piece that connect to another puzzle piece. Similarly, a woman can do certain things that men can't do, like give birth. Men can't give birth. They can't get pregnant. I know that is contrary to popular belief, but that is correct. Women can give birth and can nurse children. They can breastfeed. Or a lot of them can. And men can be uh, protectors and providers and whatnot. So, there's a bunch of things that men and women do, but they're different from each other. Again, they are equal. So, that's my little answer. That's a little rant into that. So, I hope you get blessed by this. Give me an answer. Are men and women equal in the Bible? The funniest part is many atheists and agnostics think that there are no Christians in China. There's going to be over 100 million. And many are, fortunately, there are not many who are getting killed for their faith. It's more so fines, a little bit of jail time, but they do lose a lot. And so that type of giving up my willingness to give up my life, willingness to sacrifice, humility saying, God, you move. I don't want to hoard things in my life, live for money, sex, or power. God uses that in an incredible way, and it makes total sense because Jesus Christ, the God of the universe himself, came as a servant, even a slave, in order to connect with us, and then his death started the catacombs and how many thousands upon thousands of Christians took over the Roman Empire.
What would you say to a person that believes in another religion than Christianity and says that the New Testament is not in fact reliable? I'd say the New Testament is supported by evidence that it is reliable. What is that evidence? If you're going to raise the question of historical reliability, I think that's good. But you better think and you better come up with some tests that you use to determine historical reliability on any document. For myself, I've come up with four tests. Nothing magical about them, but I use them on the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, European history, African history books, U.S. history books. So I use them consistently. The four tests to determine historicity are literary style. Is it once upon a time in the land of Nod, Wink and Blink and Nod took a boat ride? Is that history? Is that historical narrative? No. That is called fairy tale. All right? Are the Gospels once upon a time in the land of Nod? Jesus took a boat ride. No. The Gospels are at this time, in this place, with these people around to witness this event, this occurred. It reads like the New York Times, the LA Times. It's historical narrative. That is the literary style. Second test, archaeology. Are we talking about the island of Atlantis that Jesus ran around on? No. We're talking about Bethlehem, Nazareth, Jerusalem, Rome, archaeologically verifiable places. Third test, internal consistency. Are these eyewitnesses contradicting each other? If they are, we got a problem with the text. I sure do. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are no contradictions. Are there different perspectives? Yes. Is there one angel in an empty tomb versus two angels in an empty tomb in a different gospel? Yes, there are. But the gospel that records that there is one angel never says there was only one angel. It's a different perspective, which is totally valid. We want different perspectives on any history. Fourthly, and most importantly for me personally, is how do we know that we have what those eyewitnesses wrote? Today, the New Testament that we have in English is based on over 5,700 Greek manuscripts or pieces of manuscripts dated from the 2nd through the 10th century AD, all agreeing to an infinitesimal degree. Does that mean the Bible's a word of God? No, absolutely not. Does that mean that the Gospels are historically reliable? Yes, absolutely yes. Well, come on, Cliff, show me that the Bible's a word of God. I can't. It's impossible to show that any book is the word of God. How do you do that? It's impossible. But can I show you that the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are historically reliable? Yes, sir. So, if you're a skeptic, fine. But at least be open-minded and read the gospel simply as history and ask yourself, does the historical evidence point to Jesus being a fraud? If it does, reject him. But if the gospels point to the sanity, the reliability, the credibility of Jesus Christ, you better put your faith in him because what he claims is far too extreme for you to ignore him. Um, so I have some friends where we talk about like, 
how they believe that women shouldn't be preachers or women shouldn't be able to talk about God. Yep. And how it talks about that in the Bible or yep. maybe not that specifically. Right. And then other friends who are just like, why would someone say that? Like, why would someone want to like put women behind men? So yep. I just want to hear like your thoughts on that and you bet. what you think. Well, Phoebe was trained by Paul, right? She was tremendously close. Paul raised her up as a leader who was preaching to men. Then you have an ancient manuscript where one Roman emperor wrote to another talking about how we have been persecuting and we have been slashing and doing things probably similar to waterboarding to this disciple of Christ who was a woman and disciple referencing her as a leader. So, women in leadership? Absolutely. Now, to the point of, were they specifically pastors? Well, the word pastor is not in the Bible. People, people don't believe me when I say that. Look up and try and find the word pastor in the Bible. It's not. We're both pastors, so sometimes we wonder, what in the world are we doing being pastors? It's not in the Bible. Now, women, though, in that Roman Empire, they were considered dirt. So were children. The typical male in the Roman Empire was allowed to have one sex slave, one wife, as well as another mistress, and treat them however he wanted to. No woman can go and say, hey, I'm part of the Me Too movement, for example. It was Christians that came along and said, no, we have to find a way to do away with this. We have to find a way to uplift women and say all are created in the image of God. That's when the Roman Empire started to change, and the majority of the early church and the church today is by far and away female. That's a great issue you're raising. Why? Because I meet a lot of women today who say, I am really angry about the sexism in our culture. And I look those ladies in the face and I say, I'm right with you. For a man to look down on a woman as inferior is sick. But the question is, why is woman valuable? And here's the answer that I get from too many of my feminist friends. Woman is valuable because she's just like a man. That's a pathetic reason that woman is valued. I hope, ladies, you don't think you're valuable because you're just like men. Because now you're still begging the question, why are men and women valuable? And I can promise you a woman is not valuable because she's just like a guy. No, false. The Bible gives us the basis for the value of every man, every woman, every transgender, every LGBTQ, every racist, every ethnic heritage person in the world. And the basis is God created every single one of us in his image. What do you think that man stood for? Exactly what I just said. Dr. Martin Luther King understood. All human beings are created in the image of God. That is why racism is wrong. Because racism is saying, I'm inferior, I'm superior, and you are inferior. And that is a lie. That is arrogance, it's demeaning a person. God created every single human being in his likeness, in his image. Which means we all have equal value and dignity. You take God out of the picture, and I'll tell you why woman's valuable. Because our culture says, if your body's proportioned correctly, you're a babe. You're valuable. What a crock. Our culture says, man, if you've been in a weight room a lot and you're buff, you're a stud. You're somebody significant. 
That's a lie. Our culture says, if you've got a 4.0 GPA, whoa, you're somebody. That's a lie. I've got a sister with, who's mentally challenged. I got a brother who transplants kidneys at Duke University Hospital in North Carolina. I can promise you, my brother, who's a transplant surgeon, is not more valuable than my sister, who's at a third grade educational level at the age of 59. And if anybody goes to my brother and says, whoa, you know, you're really valuable, and your sister, who's mentally challenged, is a loser, my brother intellectually will bust the dude's chops. Why? Because you've got to think. Why are any of us valuable? If there is no God, none of us are valuable innately. We just give ourselves value, or our culture gives us value, if we happen to be a winner instead of a loser. Guys, think. You've got to think this stuff through. No God, you're an accident, I'm an accident. If there is a God who created you in his image, you and I both have intrinsic, innate value. It's that simple. But what about salvation? Why, God already knows who's going to be saved and who isn't, so why is that not the Good. For the same reason that God knows what I'm going to choose to do tomorrow when it comes to how I treat students out here, because he's outside of the dimension of time, God knows whether I'm going to choose to accept Christ and put my faith in him. And he knows that about you and about all of us. He's all-knowing. He's outside of the dimension of time. The idea that I'm just going to keep on living and living and living is a joke. I'm 69 years old. I can promise you I can't run as fast as I used to. I can't jump as high as I used to. This body is decaying. That's a fact, right? Yeah. So I am locked into time, and time does things to my body. Time does things to life. God is outside of that dimension of time. He's eternal. See, God doesn't get tired. I get tired. God doesn't get tired. The four Gospels are the story of Jesus, and we want to make sure it's accurate. How come there's some inconsistencies between the four of them? For example, um, the one I'm thinking of is like the story of the fig tree. Um, Jesus like curses a fig tree, and one Gospel says it, it withered immediately, and then one Gospel said later on in the day. It was withered. So there's some, and there's another one with like, um, like the genealogy of Christ. There's yep. two different genealogies, That's and they're right. different. Yep. So how do we, how can we still like trust the gospel if there's those inconsistencies? Good question. When you talk about inconsistencies, read them carefully. Realize that perspective is crucial. You and I are standing on a street corner. We see two cars come down the road. There's a screech of brakes, a woman screams, and there's a collision. If you and I go to the police and you say, officer, I saw the two cars coming down the street, a woman screamed and there was a collision. And I say, officer, I saw the two cars coming down the street, I heard a screech of brakes, and there was a collision. Are you and I contradicting each other? No. No. Exactly. We are offering two equally valid perspectives on what really happened. There's a book called The Day Lincoln Was Shot. Does that book record every second of Lincoln's last 24 hours? Every thought, every imagination, every deed? 
No. What is history? History is a selective account of what happens. No history book gives us every detail. None. That is why we want different eyewitness accounts to get different perspectives on what really happened. Now, if you have a contradiction in a text, then we have got a problem. But I would argue that the two genealogies in Luke 3 and Matthew 1 do not contradict each other. There are some options. One option that I take seriously is, one of Luke's main points is, Jesus was not born literally, physically, as a son of Joseph. He was born of a virgin, Mary. And so Luke gives us Mary's genealogy, tracing back to Abraham, and Matthew gives us Joseph's genealogy, tracing back to Abraham, showing that clearly from both Mary's lineage and, Matthew, and Joseph's lineage, Jesus was the line of Messiah. The fig tree, when you have words like immediately or at the end of the day, be very careful there. Very careful. Right? I mean, immediately? What does immediately mean? Mark continuously in the Gospel of Mark says, and immediately, right away, Jesus went and did this. Well, that doesn't mean that he literally just right away went and did that. Mark is, is a writer who uses a lot of action and Jesus is bopping around. He's writing for Romans who are action-oriented people. And so Mark records that. Well, and also the disciples had different perspectives, right? There wasn't collusion going on. They weren't always in the same place at the same time. So one gospel writer could say, I heard it happened immediately. But for me, it was later on in the day. So remember that. I love that because it's not collusion. It's like the angels at the tomb, right? Just because somebody says there was an angel at the tomb and somebody comes along and says, I saw two angels doesn't mean they're contradicting themselves. It just means the guy who came later or the woman who came later encountered two and the first guy only had encountered one and talked about the one and didn't talk about the second. So that type of difference, see, if you had a certain holy book that says this is given by God and every single word has to be perfect, there's no male or female perspective on things, humanity is not in here. See, that is way tougher when it comes to looking at things like supposed contradictions or supposed sloppiness. Because don't forget, there are thousands upon thousands of variants that are misspelled grammatically in the Bible. And that can scare people's faith. But then you look at it, and not a single theological issue is changed by those variants. And so I love the different perspectives that appear to be contradictions at times. But then you understand, no, these are different people from different perspectives. So that's important, rather than everybody just saying, yep, here we go. It was 3 o'clock and we were all here at the fig tree and this is exactly what happened. And we're going to write it in the exact same way with the exact same punctuation. Then you start to say, wow, this probably did not happen. <laughs> so if the Bible was written by people who were living humans, was not written by God himself. Yep. Then what is stopping us from adding more into the Bible today? Like what is stopping me from writing more letters as if I'm the Apostle Paul? Like what is stopping that? That's a great question. Because Christ came at a specific time and said, here are specific words, gave these words to the disciples, many of whom were obviously living with him, not all 72. But they said, okay, well now we're going to make disciples of all nations. But 
you have the Gnostic Gospels and other Gospels coming later. Now you have not history, you have great hyperbole. You have extremism of character and personality, and no ancient historian would say, oh, that's written as history. So the book eventually has to be closed, right? Because Jesus came at a specific place in time. The God of the universe came at a specific place in time, said, I am going to pass this message off to those who've encountered me, and then to those who are close friends with those who've encountered me, the eyewitnesses. And now the message is here, and it's getting out. I'm going to ascend to the Father. And so we, we've got to close these manuscripts. We've got to close these Gospels. Or people who had no connection to Christ are, are going to write later, and then things are going to get sullied in that way. So that's, that's one reason. You've got to think through, why is the New Testament made up of just four Gospels? Because there were a lot of alternatives, especially over a few hundred years. Gospel of Peter, Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Pontius Pilate, Gospel of Mary. Okay, so what criteria did the first, second, third century use to include and to exclude certain Gospels? First point, it had to be written by an eyewitness or by someone who knew an eyewitness. Well, somebody writes today, Jesus was a Republican. I'm sorry, you never met Jesus? Obviously, the Republican Party did not even exist back then. So no, Jesus was not a Republican or a Democrat. He wasn't a Democrat either. Okay? And Jesus didn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. Right? He was a Jew. So you've got to be real careful. So the first test to be included in the New Testament was written by an eyewitness or someone who knew an eyewitness. Luke was not an eyewitness, but Luke knew eyewitnesses. Second test was, does this document agree with Orthodox Christian faith. The Gnostic Gospels contradict Orthodox Christian faith. The Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Barnabas, are based on Gnostic philosophy, which teaches your body, evil. Your spirit, good. Get rid of your body, because it's the spirit that's good. And that contradicts the Bible. The Bible insists God created both your body and your spirit. So, a lot of the Gospels, quote-unquote, reject either the Orthodox Christian faith or they were not written by an eyewitness or by someone who knew an eyewitness. That is why they were excluded from the New Testament. And that's why if somebody writes a document today, it's obviously not going to be written by an eyewitness or someone who knew an eyewitness. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. I hope that this episode has blessed you. I hope that you have learned something and that... What Cliff and Stuart have said have helped really get your faith deeper with Jesus Christ or answer some questions, maybe adds more questions you have to ask. Either way, it's perfectly fine. Before we get going, I want to go ahead and remind everyone again to like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you may be listening to podcasts. Helps it get into the algorithm and more people get to hear the word of God. So until next time, we meet again. May God richly bless you all, my dearly beloved.